Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Scott Schaefer in for Mina Kim. In many ways, we are surrounded by stress. Everything from COVID to jobs and money pressure, the drought, climate change, they all contribute to stress. And for many, no time is more stressful than right now, the winter holidays. UCSF psychiatry professor Alyssa Eppel has studied stress and its impact on our health, and her new book, The Stress Prescription, outlines ways to find contentment and joy in the midst of stress and uncertainty that fills our lives every day. She joins us for the hour, and as always, we want to hear from you. Who or what stress you out? Dealing with stress, that's next on Forum. This is Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, in for Mina Kim. Well, for a lot of us, the holidays are a time where stress goes through the roof, whether it's pressure to be social and buy presents or just deal with difficult family members. Dr. Alyssa Eppel from UCSF's Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences has written a book about this. It's called The Stress Prescription, and it outlines the negative effects of stress and how to reduce it. Dr. Eppel, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Scott. So happy to be here. And happy Hanukkah. Um, (laughs) Let me just begin by asking you, what is it about stress that you find so interesting? (laughs) Psychologists often study their own issues. So I am a stress scientist, and um, I'm a very I'm a stressed scientist, but I'm constantly using strategies. So I have learned over time all of the different ways that we can reduce stress in our mind, in our body, and by changing up the environment. So you're saying you personally are affected by stress. I mean, we all are, but you're you're a high stress person. Yeah, I just am. And so it's always fascinating to me. I love the intervention studies, the retreat studies, breathing studies. We're always trying these things out on ourselves and doing some self-monitoring with things like the aura ring. And there's just so much to learn. There's so much mystery in the mind-body connection, just layers and layers that we can unravel and get insights from. And I mean, the big one is just the mind and the body are so deeply connected. 
and we can think about managing stress from both ends, <laughs> from top down and bottom up. Well, and I think a lot of people think about stress as being sort of an emotional thing. But what you write about, it's actually, and you kind of just alluded to that, it's very physical, too. And it goes all the way down to our chromosomes. That's right. There is a beautiful friendship between stress and aging. And they're just really intertwined. And the short story with that is that with chronic stress, what we think of as toxic stress that goes on for years, when we don't get the right breaks, we don't have the resources to really change situations, this is pro-aging. And we and other scientists have shown this in different ways. In, particularly, in particular, we can look inside the cell, see how the cell ages, and see that it's speeded up by PTSD symptoms, by chronic depression or anxiety. And we've, we can look at inflammation, our epigenetics, our telomeres, our mitochondria, they all tell us the same story. It's really important to manage stress well and not let it just be um, unmitigated chronically day after day. We can get so used to it. It's very easy to not even notice that we're living chronically stressed days. Our daily, our daily experience is habituated to stress. So we're not even seeing reality as it is. And are some people just genetically predisposed to being affected by stress? Sure, absolutely. And there are, some of us are very stress sensitive or anxiety sensitive. When we feel stress in our body, when we feel our heart racing, we're going to react much more strongly and start having some, you know, anxiety, positive feedback loops about that. And that can become chronic anxiety. But knowing ourselves and our triggers and managing our environment is so important. It's so important to respect our own sensitivities. You know, you, there, there, you write in the book the differences in, uh, about sort of chronic, could be low-grade or maybe not even low-grade stress versus acute stress, momentary stress. You know, you, you miss a flight, you know, and you're stressed out about not getting home in time for the holidays. What is the difference between those two in terms of, the effect on, on us, on our bodies. Mm -hmm. The acute stress response is fascinating. And stress researchers like me have really focused on understanding who overreacts, how long does it last, how much do you ruminate? So we understand what a healthy acute stress response is. And it's really being able to be in your body, relaxed with some ease, when nothing acutely stressful is happening. That ability to notice I'm safe right now, I can let go, is critical to our long-term health and our well-being. What happens is that we carry stress around us. We carry stress in our thoughts, worry, rumination, and so we keep our body in a stress state. So under acute stress, we want to see a big response and a quick recovery. And that's a healthy young stress response. And we can nudge that. We can facilitate that. And we can recover faster with different strategies. The other interesting thing about acute stress is that when we expose our body, for example, to repeated short bouts of stress, this is not only... Um, well, this is a form of positive stress. We call this hormetic stress. And this is actually good for our cells. And What's as our, good about it? <laughs> it is. So this acute stress response calls, it's basically sending out all the alarms saying, okay, danger, 
put up the protections. So, so it's like the fight or flight response, or is that different? Um, yes, this is part of the fight or flight response. So all of the bodies basically responding and saying, okay, let's um, let's protect the genes, especially from damage, and let's protect the brain from damage. And so there are very dramatic things that happen during acute stress. Like, in, in, of course, stress hormones go up, inflammation goes up, and um, the the protective enzyme that protects our telomeres and our genes, telomerase, also goes up during acute stress, we've found. And that's a healthy protective response. And so the the beautiful next unfolding events is where the positive effects are, is during the recovery. Then this big stress response turns on the cleanup crew in our cells. And so the junk in our cells is, is eaten up, misfolded proteins are corrected, Oxidative stress is eaten up. And you and you can actually see this, like well, under a microscope. Are, or? <laughs> there are different ways. Um, basic scientists measure these, like autophagy, the Pac-Man in ourselves that that eat up debris, and this is boosted by things like aerobic exercise after the exercise, not during it. And the mitochondria are boosted after the exercise, not during it. So this is the the batteries in our cells that give us more energy. So chronic stress can dampen our mitochondrial enzymes. We have found, um, but there are a lot of buffers to that, like how we feel each day. Like more positive mood is correlated with better mitochondria. So acute stress is good for our body, and we're finding in our studies is also good for stress, anxiety, depression, rumination. Hmm, interesting. We're talking about stress, obviously, and especially during the holidays, some tips for managing it. Dr. Alyssa Apple is a professor and vice chair for the Department of Psychiatry at UCSF. Her new book is called The Stress Prescription, and we want to hear from you, of course, what or who stresses you out during the holidays, and what do you do to manage stress, especially at this time of the year? You can email your comments or questions to forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum, or give us a call, and we're going to open the phone lines early uh, because this is a topic that I think uh, people have a lot to to say about. So give us a call now if you like, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. what stresses you out? <laughs> Not talking to our uh, listeners. I'm talking to you. <laughs> but we want to hear that from our listeners, too. There, For me, it's more relationships, family issues, caring and worrying about other people, and less so at work. I mean, I've got my 10,000 hours in. I've been doing research for almost 30 years. And um, so that, that part is exciting, sometimes disappointing, um, but not not threat stress. And the threat stress comes when we're feeling like something we care about so much is at stake. And for most people, that comes down to social stress, to relationships, to loss, to also to survival stress, financial strain. There's a lot of financial strain right now. Things are tightening up during the holidays. That's one of the most common stressors. Another common stressor, I'm now turning it to all of us that we share, is time stress. So we do a lot of studies where we ask people every day, what stressed you out the most? And one of the most common things is simply rushing through your day, feeling like you don't have enough time to get things done, being late, and feeling overwhelmed. And that is actually just 
unnecessary stress. We can do better on that. We can have more spacious schedules. One thing I do in the stress prescription is have people do a stress inventory, really step back, look at the different stressors in their lives, think about how they can plan their day better so that there is spaciousness. Our body needs breaks. It does not want a marathon each day. You uh, introduced the uh, idea of mind states in your book, and you talk about red, yellow, green, blue as standing for levels of stress. Talk about that a little bit and, and what the different levels are and how you can tell when you're slipping into you know, the red zone. Mm-hmm. So, or, red... or the blue zone, I guess. Ah, the blue zone. Yeah. We'll get there. So let's start with red zone. So we have laid out with my colleague, Alexandra Croswell, uh, we really laid out a model of understanding the different mind states and that deep understanding with the science underlying those can help us consciously and purposefully shift more easily between red mind, yellow mind, green mind, and blue mind. So red mind state, we all know well, that's the acute stress response. It's not inherently bad. We can use that when we need it. It it is the only reason we're here today is that we have this great, robust stress response that keeps us safe from predators and in our modern world keeps us safe from danger. But our, of course, we need to get more specific and granular about when we need to turn that stress response on. So it's going on a lot of the time and staying on unnecessarily. When we're in the midst of stress, we can pump that stress response up so that it's the most efficient peak and recovery. And there's some different strategies. Those are more top-down belief statements and stress mindset. So we can use our stress response better. What we don't want is to kind of lurk most of the day between red mind and yellow mind. And so that's more of a carrying around unconscious stress, carrying vigilance in our body when we don't need to. And so right now, even just for our listeners, you're probably not in the thick of coping with stress because you wouldn't be listening to Scott Schaefer <laughs> and me. And so it's a time to just ask yourself, what am I carrying? How tense are my hands, my face? What am I holding in my body? And just taking those moments to breathe more slowly. So kind of a, a self-evaluation and uh, just maybe the recognition of that can be helpful to maybe reduce the stress level? Absolutely. My, mindful check-ins are kind of the foundation of all of the different tips and tricks and practices. We got to first check in and be aware of where our mind and our thoughts are. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Alyssa Apple. She's a professor and vice chair of the Department of Psychiatry at UCSF. Her book is called The Stress Prescription. And we want to hear from you. What stresses you out and what do you do about it? Email your comments to forum at kqed.org, or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or call us 866-733-6786. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. And welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here this hour from Mina Kim. We're talking about stress and what to do about it with Dr. Alyssa Apple. Her new book is called The Stress Prescription. If you want to weigh in and uh, tell us what stresses you out, give us a ring at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Um, you know, before the break, we were uh, talking about that, doing that sort of self-assessment. And one of the messages from your book, and something that I've you know thought a lot about myself, is that attitude is really important. The way you perceive things, the way you think about things, your expectations can really affect the way stress affects you, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Our mental filter, our mindset, if we expect that things are going to go a certain way and we're tightly attached to these beliefs of how this event should go, how the next day should go. We're just setting ourselves up for being having our expectations violated, sometimes even feeling victimized. I mean, it's it's really important for us to be loose about how we are viewing the future, which we have much less control over than we think. And so when you have all these expectations, you get anxious about having to meet them also. Our, our, even our body tightens up. And we might not even notice it. So just asking ourselves, like, what are we expecting right now? It can be very vague, but if we can give some labels to it and make it specific, we learn from our body and our mind about what unconscious stress we're holding. And that's one way that we can move more from yellow mind, which is kind of cognitive load, unconscious stress, to green mind, which is more of a relaxed state. So mindset's hugely important. There's just beautiful research on how... Our mindset and our beliefs about stress can either facilitate and exaggerate our stress response or make it a really healthy, positive stress response. All right. We've got some comments from listeners. Taylor writes, I have a question about stress. I'm on the autism spectrum, and I feel stressed when things around my world feel too noisy and confusing in daily life. What's the best way for uh, neurodivergent people to find balance with stress? Do you recommend mindfulness practice? I love this question. Um, And yes, I recommend mindfulness practices as adapted to each person. So for some people, they're not, if they think they have to sit and meditate for 20 minutes a day, it's never going to happen. But actually just the more informal mindfulness and the short check-ins we all can do, we all can fit those in, and they're extremely helpful. And I, of course, talk in the book about how bad of a meditator I am. And and I, for me, going on retreats is a phenomenal luxury. And I really do get to more blue mind states and have more insights about my mind. But most of the time, I'm I'm more using short check-ins and informal mindfulness. Now, the neurodiversity is such a good example. And, you know, some, some, some of us have a label and some of us don't, but it really is truly a spectrum of neurodiversity that we live with. And it is so challenging to be on the more diverse end in the sensory world. And one thing we've learned about stress is how much 
stress we can absorb and feel overloaded by through our senses. But the good news is that we can also use our sensory gates to reduce stress. So for example, when we are in nature and we are allowing ourselves to smell, hear, really hear the sounds, the birds, really feel leaves or hug a tree, that is actually having powerful effects on our anxiety, on our blood pressure. There's beautiful studies about the green effect. So applying that to daily city life, we can change our environment and have what we might think of as comfort zones or rooms or corners of rooms that give us a lot of safety signals. And so it's become popular, and my colleague Alexandra Croswell talks about this a lot in our deep rest paper, which is on my website, to for adults to be using these sensory techniques that we thought were only for kids. These are things like weighted blankets, um, sensory uh, props like aromatherapy, um, feeling the uh, hot and cold, things that really kind of shake up our body in the sensory world and can be calming or in some cases, arousing, and then the calm follows. Yeah. All right, let's go to the phones. We've got a lot of folks who want to weigh in, and we're going to begin in Santa Clara with Kat. Welcome. Hi, thank you. This is such a timely call. Um, I am my mother's caregiver. She has Alzheimer's and newly diagnosed with uh, lung cancer. And she's in that space where she doesn't understand that she has the disease, and, and so I'm in this challenge of living with her. And... I guess my 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 biggest hiccup is is when I'm in the moment of like I'm in and my you're right my body is so affected by the stress and I don't even know my brain my my brain has to catch up to it but it's trying to find those ways to really de-escalate a situation with my mom or with just you know just the overwhelming amount of like there's lack of time there's lack, I it's just me doing everything for her and feeling very isolated as I navigate her care. And so um, finding those ways. So I guess I'm just curious, like when you're in the moment and you need to de-stress, like I guess I'm really curious about those moments mm-hmm. and, and, and I'll take my, my answer off the air. All right. Thanks so much for the call and good luck with your, with your mom. Kat, yes. Well, first of all, my heart goes out to you. And thank you for describing the caregiver experience so eloquently. You are not alone. So many people are caregiving for children, for elderly uh, parents, for partners. And it is the model we use in research of chronic stress. It is incredibly challenging. You're the primary caregiver. You're on call. Your phone probably doesn't um, get turned off much. And this can be absolutely exhausting. So I have two suggestions I mean, first of all, is just to have so much self-compassion for the care you're, you're giving, for, for treating yourself with so much care that you usually just give, you know, really giving yourself permission to take time out. And they can be even short periods, but there is something called a caregiver bill of rights because caregivers don't feel that they can or deserve to take the time for self-care when there's all the, always these demands. So we've been studying caregivers in many different studies, parents, um, older people who are doing dementia caregiving. There's so many great lessons from this. One is that you're taking care of 
yourself in ways that boost your positive mood each day can really protect you from the health effects and the depression. So for example, in one of our studies, feeling more eudaimonia, feeling more purpose, more joy. Eudaimonia? Eudaimonia. This is more, not the kind of positive happiness, high arousal state where we're feeling pleasure, but it's much more this tapping into feelings of content, satisfaction, purpose, and meaning. Mm. And we get that from relationships. We get that from caring when we can also, you know, take more balance for ourselves. So one is to really find respite and take it seriously, even if it's short bouts. And so calling on your support networks or finding times when you can turn off your phone for short periods. During the stressors, during those times when you are serving as the emotion regulation outlet for someone else, it's really important to remind yourself that you don't have control over someone else's emotions, that this will pass, that you can breathe. And when you are feeling the stress response, just remind yourself, you know, this is my body trying to protect myself. This is going to pass. This is not harmful to have this acute stress response. Yeah. All right. Thanks for that call, Kat. And let's go up to Santa Rosa next. And Mark, you're on with Dr. Alyssa Apple. Hey, Dr. Apple. Um, my name is Mark. I'm a nurse for the VA Santa Rosa. We're taking care of a daughter. She's 11 with um, COVID at home and no one's gotten it. I'm sanitizing everything. You know, what's the, what's your tips on like, I have this expectation I'm on vacation this week and you think you're going to be on vacation. You're supposed to have fun. And then all of a sudden you get hit in the face with a COVID in the house and everyone's kind of eggshelly, but you know, we're just doing the best we can. And so far everyone else has tested negative and asymptomatic. So I can't imagine like during the pandemic, you know, people just ripping their hair out. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Uh, I love, yeah. I mean, the pandemic alone uh, has just been a source of so much stress for in so many ways. You mentioned, uh, Dr. Apple, the financial stress, but parents at home with kids and learning on Zoom. Mm -hmm. um, what, what advice or thoughts do you have for Mark? Mm. I'm so sorry. You know, these holiday plans that we look forward to and put so much into are just crashing all around us. You, you know, I, um, someone in my family has COVID and is not coming to our Hanukkah party. And maybe the host even can't. You know, there's all this uncertainty of is it a cold? Is it a flu? And, mm. and especially when it's, you know, when it's your child, there's always going to be any small concern is a large concern. So it, I believe that... <laughs> There are there's a mindset that we have to have in this new world with this kind of volatile uncertainty. We always have uncertainty, and now we have things in our both personal world and our global world changing quickly and in dramatic ways. And so it requires more of us than our usual coping. And so one way to think about this is really just letting go of all the expectations and hopes of what, you know, the holiday was going to be and should have been like, and really look for ways to try to enjoy the downtime and the, you know, the silver lining of having family time together, even though it's not a celebration and just the quiet and, and accepting the sadness and disappointment. And we, we are just living with so much 
grief and suffering around us and in our personal lives and really not trying to push that away and just saying, this is, this is a hard time. This is a time to get through. Things will be better. Mm. Is it particularly tough for somebody like Mark, who is a caregiver by profession, working at the VA and then coming home and you're having to, you know, even just being a parent, but having a sick child is even more stressful. Mm -hmm. I mean, how is it harder for folks who are in caring professions to to deal with stress when they have, you know, a different kind of stress at home? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, the burnout rate among um, healthcare professionals like Mark, but also mental health care professionals is incredibly high because of that dual burden of caring during the day and then coming home and not having childcare, et cetera, having sick children. And again, it's, you know, really just recognizing that you can only do so much. And sometimes we need to say no to obligations in order to have some semblance of balance during these times. Mark, is that helpful? Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm really glad that I've actually had my scheduled vacation when she's sick so that I could be her nurse. You know what I mean? Mm. Well, you sound like a great so, dad. That, and there's the silver lining. I mean, what you just said is is such a beautiful way to reframe it. Yeah. All right. Well, good luck to you, Mark, and, and to your family as well. I'm going to give out the number again if you want to join us, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. And let's go up to Sebastopol. And David, you're next. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much. i um, really passionate about this subject. And without trying to, to sound contradictory or like um, it's around the subject of techniques to actually in the moment when you're overwhelmed, when you're actually your nervous system is hijacked by fight or flight and stress. And I heard the, the guests um, speak about being a bad meditator. And I think there's Actually, I know that there's a very important thing that, that people get to understand about meditation is that there's many kinds of meditation, and lots of them keep us on the mental level of trying to con- trying to think our way out of like the reversing our, our stress response. But there's a kind of meditation I learned about 12 years ago from a master teacher that I do twice a day that absolutely takes me to a state change that resets any any stress I've accumulated in the day or prior days. And it's called a self-transcending kind of meditation. And the difference is that it doesn't have you try and focus or keep your mind active. It allows your mind to do what the mind wants to do, which is to naturally release these stresses in its own, in its own time. So it's a process that it basically lets you launder your stress by just sitting down comfortably. You don't sit, you know, in an erect position. You sit with your back supported. And you learn a technique in a, in a course over four or five days, um, and it's uh, it's profound. And I just I just want to really hold out that meditation has a bad a bad name because there's a lot of kinds of meditation out there that are they're very difficult to to sustain because they're not they're not enjoyable. Yeah, so yeah. I'll just leave it at that. All right. Yeah, Dr. Apple. Yeah. Thank you so much. There are many different types of meditation and mind-body activities. And it's so wonderful when you can have the opportunity to explore different ones and see what works for you. And during the pandemic, one of the amazing things that happened was all of these wisdom teachers and amazing fitness and mind-body teachers are online and we can really learn so much and try different things. And one of the things that we talk about in our deep breath paper is that why do all of these strategies work? What is common to them? And so there is this 
amazing change in our breathing rate, becoming slower and more rhythmic, in our nervous system shift from less sympathetic to more parasympathetic or more vagal tone. And we can get there through so many different paths. So it's it's really important to not give up if mindfulness meditation didn't feel like it was for you. And um, Scott, you were talking about your experience with TM meditation. Yeah, a long time ago. I, when I was in high school, uh, just went to a class, learned TM. They gave me a mantra. <laughs> and uh, and I practiced it, you know, when I was going to college. Sat down, tried to do it twice a day, 20 minutes. You know, that was what we were told was ideal. Uh, and it just... I just stopped doing it, you know, and I always feel better when I do it, but it's, um, it's just hard to, I think part of it is expectation, you know, like, oh, I don't have 20 minutes twice Mm -hmm. a day and you find a reason not to do it. But I I think what you're saying is do what you can, because whatever you do is going to be helpful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely. I talk to a lot of people who are, you know, at the top of their fitness, they're trying all of the anti-aging techniques and I admire that discipline and I am not one of those people. <laughs> I'm like an example of moderation. So lately, I've been using things like, you know, five minutes or 10 minutes of hit, getting on the bike or something like that, or even at work. And it's not going to create top aerobic fitness, but it creates what I call stress fitness. It does change up the nervous system, change up state of the mind and the neurochemicals. And that is a, a powerful break. We've got a lot of listener comments. Elizabeth writes, I used to take a great Samba class pre-COVID. It was a huge success of relief for me, uh, stress release rather, especially when I was going through incredibly stressful times like divorce and child custody hearings. The aerobic activity was great, but I think a big part of it was also literally shaking the body. I feel like it really does shake off the stress. Is there any science behind the physical release? This is a cutting edge of science, and there, and we do think of it as a bit fringe, but there are studies looking at different things we can do to the body, vibrations, vibrating chairs, humming, and a lot of people have benefited from tapping, and it's, I will say that we're still waiting for like the double-blind clinical trials. They take like five or 10 years. Don't wait. Just try these things. Yeah. What have you got to lose? Pete tweets, this program is just what we need. Breathing with forum and muttering, I'm all right. Right now, my telomeres lengthen just thinking about it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, state of mind, I think really is important. And, and I find even if like you're on BART, like I took BART yesterday to the East Bay, you know, even just taking like three, four or five minutes, it doesn't have to be a completely quiet place. Just, you know, kind of close your eyes and just try to calm your mind. It really, <laughs> it really can help. It's a good example. We, we really want to promote some sacred spaces for our body to feel those safety signals and let down its guard. But it's when we're in those stimulating places that we can stretch ourselves to have the opposite response instead of tensing up to say, can I relax into this busy place of discomfort? All right. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Alyssa Eppel talking about stress. Give us a ring if you'd like to join the conversation. 866-733-6786. 866-733-6786. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. And welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here this hour for Mina Kim. We're talking with Alyssa Apple. She is professor and vice chair of the Department of Psychiatry at UCSF. Her new book is called The Stress Prescription. Uh, if you'd like to email your comments, you can do that at forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're at KQED. And let's go back to the phones. And how about uh, Ed in San Jose? You're next. Welcome. Hey there. Um I'm a business owner, and the business is centered around cybersecurity. So both of those are recipes for extreme uh, uh, stress. I, I take care of myself on the weekends by playing these video games that are stressful in themselves, where I'm telling myself that that's good because I don't think about the work, and I'm thinking about something else. And I'm curious, is that healthy, or is that magnifying things and being worse? Mm. I know about your field. I actually have a colleague who's targeting those of you in cybersecurity because it's so intense. You're carrying the weight of many parts of the world on your shoulders with one potential mistake. So (laughs) the distraction and, you know, becoming engaged with all of our attention in something we love, flow states, those are absolutely critical. I use them all the time when I'm dealing with situations that I can't change. But you also need to disengage. You need to have more of these green and blue mind states. And my colleague, Richard Miller, is the founder of a, of a disengagement technique that can be very powerful, that does not take a lot of mind training. It's actually being guided in a deep release. It's called I Rest or Yoga Nidra. And I have him listed. Um, I would just look up Yoga Nidra. There's audios of this on, for example, Insight Timer. And it you lie down. <laughs> you're not, you know, you're you're not consciously exerting control. You're just being guided. And he's had studies with, for example, veterans with PTSD. And this is a powerful tool. And you could even do it for five minutes once you train your body in this. So I love Yoga Nidra. It's a great strategy for before bed also for um, promoting better quality and deeper sleep. Nidra is N-I-D-R-A? That's right. You know. Ed, I'm curious, why are you, given that you're, you're so aware of the stress you have during the day, why are you drawn to playing video games that uh, you know are also stressful? Well, as a kid, I greatly enjoyed those. But uh, I often find that it's really hard to stop worrying about the work and the uh, the clients, 
And if you if you have a really intense video game, you can't think about anything else, which I find is a little bit of a relief. Yeah. Well, if it if it works, but it sounds like it's kind of a double edged uh, edged sword for you. That's yeah. what I. That's what I'm worried about. <laughs> you yeah. might, yeah, you might try some of these hormetic things as well, like infrared sauna, um, or these cold showers, these push-ups. I mean, these really intense short-term stress states might also bring you some relief. All right, Ed. Thanks very much for the call, and uh, let's go now to Oakland and Alfred. Welcome to Forum. Hello. Uh, good morning. Thank you for the opportunity to discuss this. And uh, just to bring up a circumstance that happened to me during COVID, uh, you know, I started taking care of an elderly family member that had severe physical and mental issues. I became their primary caregiver. Uh, it's definitely a change and a huge shift in my life as well as my family's life. But we were thankful to do what we can to help. But unfortunately, during our most recent mental flare-up, it's been identified that she's distanced herself from everyone. And, uh, you know, especially during the holiday season, draws a lot of concerns out with her family, but especially for myself as being the primary caregiver on how to manage that, where I've had to almost let go of my ability to be a caregiver in her life and to make sure she's on track to address her needs mm-hmm. um, and issues. And just uh, my questions are centered on how to best manage that and to deal with the acceptance mm. of that. Ah, oh, such, such a good question. There are so many situations like that in life that we are really in pain because we care so much and we can't take away someone else's suffering. One idea you might try on is loving detachment, which is being there as present as you can with your attention, with messages of love, with any acts of caring, but unattached to outcomes. And in this case, it sounds like, you know, it's it's going to be partly remote, and that's just an, an added challenge. But you can only do what you can and be loving and actually focusing on problem solving and solutions is often creating more stress, right? It's like pulling on a rope that's attached to a brick wall. You're just chafing your hands with all of the effort, the mental effort, the you know, the caring and the rumination. And so what I say to myself during those times of worrying about a loved one when I can't actually really do anything but be loving is drop the rope. Hmm. Alfred, uh Hopefully that's uh, some help for you. It's uh, I can just hear the stress and the anxiety in your no. voice. No, thank you. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, especially during this holiday season, uh, it's always a challenge. But my heart goes out to everyone. Uh, I know I'm not alone in this, and that's why I really appreciate this forum and uh, your insight. Yeah. All right. Well, best, uh, best of luck to you, and happy holidays. All right. Thanks to Alfred for that. And, uh, again, I'll give out the phone number. We have a a couple lines open, 866-733-6786. And we're going to go to, let's see, how about uh, Amber uh, in San Francisco? Amber, welcome to Forum. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much. Um, I did want to ask, or if you can expound more on um, generational trauma and 
people carrying stress that they don't even know that they're, you know, carrying. People are not aware about it. How can you address something like that? And um, coming as, a, you know, I'm, I'm asking as a millennial with, you know, um, a lot of boomers around me, a lot of, you know, people who I care about as well, um, and, and junctions in their life where they should stress out a little less um, and they need to uh, really enjoy their time because, um, you know, I've, I've also seen people pass who I thought um, passed too soon. And, you know, I think 50, 60, 70 is not old. Um, and if people, you know, people can definitely live, you know, in those um, in those ages and be stress-free. And hmm. um, I don't know, yeah, if it's just generational trauma or if it's actual day-to-day stress that, you know, affects people like that, if you can kind of just more um, explain, you know, the difference between the two or, you know, how to really, you know, think about those things. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, thanks so much. This brings up a lot of interesting new science. So one is that we do know there is an emerging science of intergenerational trauma, that our epigenetics are shaped in in a way toward being more stress sensitive when our um, mother or grandmother has gone through trauma such as the Holocaust or PTSD. So there's been these amazing studies by Rachel Yehuda and others. And so, yes, we have these different levels of stress sensitivity. We have different reasons for it. Some might be lived experience, some might be inherited. And so knowing and understanding underlying causes can be helpful, but the solutions are still about how can I change my relationship with stress and anxiety today, starting from when you wake up, and treating yourself with such care and self-compassion so that you're not really creating this kind of chronically stress, chronically stress, <laughs> sorry, a day, a routine of daily stress. And we're sometimes, it's about how we live our day. So there are many different ways you can both wake up and go to bed and do during the day that help us with that exaggerated stress sensitivity. The mindful check-ins are part of it. We have um, Steffi Mayer at UCSF is using an app for people with early trauma because they tend to carry around a more sensitive or exaggerated daily stress response. And that seems to be helping. That does both have self-compassion as well as acceptance strategies in it. Amber, thanks so much for the call. What about the other end of the generational spectrum? I mean, mm-hmm. it seems like there's so many mental health issues and anxiety with younger people, mm-hmm. teenagers, Um any thoughts about that and how much of yes. that is the, is the environment and how much of it is, you know, other things? Yes. And that was part of Amber's question. There, this, the, inter, the different generational mind states right now and states of mental health are so dramatic. There has always been a gradient with age, but we're seeing it in a, you know, in a, a really exaggerated way right now. So, for example, in a recent survey of stress in America, we find that... Okay, so overall, you know, around a quarter of the population is feeling so much stress they feel they can't cope. That's alarming already. I mean, we know that that's going to translate into both mental health and physical health problems, which is why I call this a stress prescription. It's as important as medical prescriptions. But then you break it down. Who's really feeling stress? And when we look at young adults, we see that over 60% of young women are feeling overwhelmed by stress. And then we look at older adults, and it's under 10% 
for older women. And so there's this resilience that comes with aging. There's this wisdom. And they do have different coping strategies and social circles that are more positive and supportive in their emotional tone, smaller but more high quality. They don't sweat the small stuff, for example. They've been through different existential stressors. So when they look at the climate crisis, they're seeing it differently. It is unique and it is overwhelming, and yet they've been through other times when they've seen how humans can survive. And so we're missing this intergenerational conversation. It's so important to have at the dinner table, for example, older people, three generations is is wonderful. To be having these dialogues where we can talk about and name how we're coping with with these existential stressors. My niece, for example, I was asking her about climate change. We're really focusing on climate change. Um, I will say everywhere, but at UCSF, we're really trying to take the lead in not just the technical solutions, but the social and behavioral and mental health um, aspects of climate change. And her, when I asked why she wasn't more concerned and involved, her response is, you know, I just want to live my life. If I really look at reality as it is right now, I can't. And so that's one coping technique, certainly understandable. But the ability to talk about climate change and really shift our view of it to one of, wow, we're living in a time where we can play a really important role in our future is one way that that wise elders help us get through this. All right. We are talking with Dr. Alyssa Apple, professor and vice chair of the Department of Psychiatry at UCSF about her new book, The Stress Prescription. You're listening to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer in Formina Kim. Well, let's see if we can get to some of these uh, listener comments here. Dorothea writes, I'm wondering if you have dealt with the stress that comes from feeling like a targeted minority in this country due to anti-Semitism that is on the rise dramatically as a Jewish person who knows her history. I'm acutely aware of how the situation of Jews in any country can change quickly. Please tell me how you cope with the anxiety connected to the rise in (sighs) anti-Semitism. And of course, you can extend that to anti-hate crime, anti-Asian hate crimes, racism. You know, there's uh, a lot of things related to identity that are creating stress mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. I'm taking a moment because it's it's such a, I will say, traumatic situation we're in with the divisiveness, with the hate, with the systemic anti-racism, and the unveiling of the anti-Semitism that has always been there. And it's it's terribly threatening. So what we, we can think about this at the social level and at the individual level. At the individual level, it's so important to manage trauma triggers and to not be putting ourselves, exposing ourselves to situations where we're having, the, you know, the chronic microaggressions now, um, I, I do think that the, the data shows that the intersectionality for both understanding mental health and stress really falls along these lines. We see the resilience in people over 65 that I talked about, and we see the vulnerability in our younger adults, and especially our youth, in women and in people of color. So that overlay, that triple marginalization, is something we just have to acknowledge. We have um, people who are trying to cope with the 
person, you know, the daily drama that we all have, and then having these systemic ways that they're threatened. So this awareness that we are carrying around now and how this can be translated into understanding the, you know, how the universal mind works and how we other people, whether it's being Jewish, being black, et cetera, is our new societal challenge, starting with our children and in our workplace. I mean, we're doing so much of this education. My own blinders are, you know, constantly being lifted for how ways that I'm, you know, make my assumptions and am biased. Dan Siegel has a new book called Intraconnected. And so the bigger picture is really we absolutely have to be part of this evolution of human culture and consciousness, which is leading you know, which will help us see the universals and see that we're really so interconnected and how silly that we're fighting like this. And I was recently in Dharamsala with the Dalai Lama and his main message, which really never changes, it's from a very high uh, worldview. Well, he's somebody who you could easily imagine being overwhelmed by stress given the status of his people and, you know, his country. That's right. And what he's been through and just seeing the state of the world now. And he has the the equanimity that he always has. He has a morning vow. He has strong faith, but it's, you know, he says his religion is kindness. His message is that we are a almost 8 billion person, one family, and how ridiculous and silly that we're fighting, especially in this time of climate crisis. We're almost at the end of the hour, but I want to ask you about, we have a chapter in the book called Be the Lion. And there's an analogy about how a lion and a gazelle utilize stress in different ways. Can you explain what you're getting at there? And is, is it about being the hunter or the hunted? I, I suspect it's something maybe a little different. <laughs> so if you, the, the analogy there is you think of, uh, you know, a lioness chasing a gazelle and they're both at the, you know, at the top peak of their capacity to run. The gazelle is having a threat response because she may get killed and her physiological stress response is one of vasoconstriction. The lion is having this positive stress response and some people might not even call it stress. Um, My colleague at UCSF, Wendy Mendez, has uh, been studying this as a challenge state, showing that the cardiac output when we're engaged in a active stressor or performance where we feel that we might... um, there's something to gain. We might win. We can control the stressor. We can do well. Like that's a completely different mindset and physiology. So when we are approaching a stressor in the thick of it, we want to be like the lion. Yeah, want to be the lion. All right. But uh, maybe there's some, you know, something you can learn from the gazelle <laughs> as well. Uh, I want to really thank you for this hour and for the book. It's called The Stress Prescription. Dr. Alyssa Apple from the Department of Psychiatry at UCSF. Happy holidays, happy Hanukkah, happy New Year. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks for all your wonderful questions. Too. You bet. This hour of Forum is produced by Caroline Smith and Grace Wan. Marlena Jackson Rotondo is our engagement producer, and Susan Britton is our lead producer. Our senior producer is Susan Davis. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Brendan Willard, and Jim Bennett. Our interns are Lulu Ralda and Paul C. Kelly Campos. Our vice president of news is Ethan Toven Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Scott Schaefer in this hour for Mina Kim. Thanks so much for listening.
Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.